We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Recapping the conference championships and maybe a couple other little discussions. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his awesome work at Rotoviz. Sean, we have a few things we want to talk about. We're kind of doing grab bag episodes right now. But the biggest thing that I wanted to talk about and message to you and wanted to jump on and record here on Monday. We usually record our first episode on Tuesday. It was just the, the conference championship games. I think there was so much interesting about them, some questionable coaching things that, that play into a lot of the stuff we like to talk about. Certainly just the, the Super Bowl matchup is you know very interesting. It's the first year in NFL history that one of the top three seeds on, in either neither of the top three seeds in either conference made the Super Bowl. But we should probably start with your Chiefs. And you being a fan and, and having to deal with another tough playoff loss. How are you holding up? Well, you said you wanted to, to do a show and, and go over the games while we could still remember them. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I do remember it. I, I feel like I may have already blocked this weekend out. Remind me here, is my Super Bowl prediction still good? Are we looking at uh, Chiefs 49ers in the Super Bowl here? <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because you picked that, then I picked the the Chiefs Rams, but I liked your pick, and then you were like, and I was sort of saying I'd, I'd like to see the Bengals win; it'd be fun. Uh, and then you were like, yeah, you can pick the Bengals. I mean, I should I should have went full on opposite of your pick, apparently. And then I would have nailed it. You would have, you would have, you would have right there and have all the prediction bragging rights. Yeah, I mean, this is hard. It it's a little bit easier in some ways because I do like to view all of the losses whether it's fantasy or reality from the perspective of understanding that that means somebody else gets to share in the joy and obviously Bengals fans get the opportunity here the Chiefs have been very blessed over the last three or four years and and making an AFC championship game obviously that's another very good season we talked a little bit about the Bills last week and how you know, you can just never count on it happening again. I mean, I feel like when you have Patrick Mahomes, you're thinking, you know, you have a decade here where you're going to be there a lot. And we know that Andy Reid 
was there a lot when he was with the Eagles with far weaker teams than what he has in Kansas City. So we know you also have this great head coach. Now, I mean, this game was a little bit more like Andy Reid's NFC Championship games where maybe lost a game that shouldn't have been lost here. Obviously, they have one of the biggest um, blown leads in championship game history. I don't know that that's exactly the story, though, because except for the very short time period this game, to me, as someone who is obviously going to be nervous about that she's making it through, actually felt closer than the score. I mean, there was that moment where they're up 18 and it looks like they're going to get the stop before they have that blown defense on the PRI touchdown where it looks like they, you know, are going to get a stop and get the ball back again. Um, but, you know, you and I were talking about games that were comparable and I, I guess I felt like there were a lot more games maybe than, than you did from the perspective of really, we just have to look back a couple weeks. I mean, they scored 28 points in the first half a couple weeks ago and are held to three in the second half. And we knew that the Bengals defense can stop teams. I mean, they've been fantastic in the first two rounds of the playoffs. I think that the Raiders and Titans offenses are a little bit better than maybe the people are giving them credit for. They had two good games there and they've been a good defense for most of the season. One of the things we talked about sort of in our preview was all four teams were good on both sides of the ball. Now, maybe you question the 49ers a little bit, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo comes out after the game and says, look, I mean, my hand and shoulder are jacked up. And so, I mean, you have one of the four quarterbacks who, number one, probably isn't at the same level as the other guys to start with, but then is also injured. And so the 49ers are going to have to overcome that with some pretty epic play from the rest of their team. But these were these were four balanced teams. They were good teams. <laughs> the, the thing here is just, even with the sort of embarrassment of riches that Chiefs fans have gotten to experience over the last several years. You know, this one feels similar to the 2014 game in the first round of the playoffs where the Chiefs managed to lose a 38 to 10 lead and go down to Andrew Luck and the Colts in that one. So again, the Chiefs have had lots of heartbreaking losses at Arrowhead in the playoffs so hopefully they'll come back and they'll have many more great memories in the future. You know, we're going to have Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. The AFC is going to be unbelievable. But this is a great game by the Bengals. We had mentioned the Bengals as a potential Super Bowl team very early. We probably weren't the only people, but we were definitely you know, in the mix as, as early believers. We thought that Joe Burrow was undervalued in fantasy. That arguably was the case there at the very end, but now he and the rest of this squad are in the Super Bowl and they're they're getting ready to write their story and and you know, be part of NFL history. Yeah, that part of it is uh, pretty crazy. We don't always see the team that you know makes a huge splash in the regular season for fantasy and all of that be able to find ways to carry it over into this you know into the playoffs and certainly. You can't tell the the 2021 fantasy season without mentioning how the Bengals played in weeks, I guess it's 16 and 17, the semifinals and, and finals, and they're just massive production. So many uh, people who had Joe Burrow, you know, I, I mean, I think the one of the biggest things that I saw when I had people kind of sending me teams they won or looking at some of the major contests or whatever, it was like, it was Joe Burrow. I mean, Jamar Chase was obviously just absolutely massive. And that one game at Higgins was massive the week before. So it was more or less just like 
you had Burrow at QB. That wound up being a huge differentiator as a later round quarterback, or at least a mid, you know, mid to later round quarterback. Um, certainly for a stretch in August, he was going as late as like the 13th and 14th round because of some of the health issues in the in the preseason. If you had that and you were in contention, the advantages he provided at, at quarterback in those weeks were just so massive. And then, you know, to turn around and be able to make this run in the playoffs, which is sort of interesting. Like they didn't, it didn't feel like they played as well as they could have against the Raiders, who I thought were sort of a fraudulent playoff team, frankly. I mean, I talked about this on the show. They had all basically one-point wins in their entire second half of their season. And the Bengals kind of let them hang around, but they get that win. The Titans sort of a, you know, questionable how how good they really are kind of team. You know, they're a one seed who lost to two, I think it was four, four win teams. They lost to Jacksonville and uh, who else? The Jets. I mean, like, you definitely know they can play down and, Derrick Henry wasn't, you know, a, a huge impact coming back from his injury. That was a big question mark. And the fact that he wasn't a huge impact, you feel like, you know, if the Bengals are this great Super Bowl team, they should have been able to win that game, probably going away a little bit more than they did. Certainly let them hang around. A.J. Brown was fantastic to keep the Titans in that game. And the, and the Bengals did play well. But they hadn't played two, I would say, great games. It's sort of like, you know, they you don't usually get two playoff games against teams that are that beatable, I would say. And then you're going you're gonna to go to Kansas City. And even though you beat them, at Arrowhead, I mean, you referenced it. I, I mentioned to you kind of when we got on. I've had a hard time sort of placing where I think this game fits in sort of – I mean, I'm a huge fan of the sport. I've watched a ton of, of pro football, and I was sort of thinking about historical things. I was thinking back to the Bills-Oilers game, and I talked to our buddy Mike Leone a little bit about that and I because I was too young to even have watched that. It's just It felt like sort of how they described it. Uh, you know, a lot of people described it when I was coming up and becoming a sports fan. That was sort of something that got talked about for several years after that AFC championship game where the Bills got up 35, or excuse me, the Oilers got up 35-3 and the Bills came back and won. I think that was in 1990 or 1991. And Leone told me all about that. And even, you know, him telling me about it, there was a lot of sort of high variance plays. The, the Bills did a third quarter onside kick that they were able to recover and a lot of different things happened. And so to me, it was like, okay, well, that feels a little bit more like you know, you need big moments to have a comeback in, in the sport of football. This game, to me, felt a lot more sort of methodical. I mean, there was the big moment of Mahomes throwing the interception in the third quarter in sort of his own territory, and you don't want to give up that type of an opportunity, certainly, and give them uh, give the Bengals a short field. There was a big moment right before half that the, the Chiefs didn't get any points. But at the same time, like, the story for me was that the Chiefs were ruthless in the first half. I saw a tweet from... Seth Walder, Patrick Mahomes QBR, which scales zero to one hundred, includes like some rushing stuff. He was uh, had a ninety-eight quarterback rating there. ESPN's quarterback rating that, that scales again zero to one hundred had a ninety-eight in the first half, nearly perfect in terms of the the elements that they look at. And then in the second half in overtime, he was one point four, like nearly like almost the worst possible QBR you can have. I mean, that's sort of the stat for me. And like I just I hadn't. I couldn't place it because the, the the Chiefs start this game with three straight touchdown drives. The Bengals get ball first, which is a huge element here, where they're not able to do anything offensively for most of the first half. The Chiefs are scoring touchdowns at will. And not only that, like even different than maybe the last game with the Bengals, the Chiefs had their stretch during the middle of the season where once teams started going too high, it was a little bit more challenging. They had to learn to do some other things. But right now here in the playoffs with McKinnon, coming on a little bit and ways you utilizing him and his athleticism in ways that I think gave them a, a little bit of a, an element at running back that they hadn't had. 
Byron Pringle had three touchdowns in the first two playoff games. He wasn't necessarily great in this game, but even on the, you know, in the first half, they hit Michael Hardman downfield and I tweeted and kind of joked. That's feels like it's been years since we've seen Michael Hardman catch a pass downfield. What I meant by that was like in 2019, his rookie season, it seemed like he was doing that all the time. And he was very, for the fact that he couldn't seem to earn a lot of targets and had a lot of issues, he was good at creating the big plays and he had the really explosive rookie season. But over the last couple of years, and especially this year, as ADOT came way down, they were sort of using him more as a gadget guy around the line of scrimmage. And some of his issues were like, we're not able to get him deep anymore, which seems weird with his speed and the way that this offense works and Patrick Mahomes. But they were able to hit him for a long, a long completion down. The, I'm like watching the first half going, they're clicking on all cylinders. They don't even need to rely on Hill and Kelsey. And then they're going back to Hill and Kelsey. And, and the Bengals aren't able to put as much pressure on those guys. And Hill and Kelsey are still contributing a ton in the first half, obviously. But when, I mean, this offense has had to succeed at times with only Hill and Kelsey. The way they played in the first half, to me, I was like, this version of the, the Chiefs is like feels unstoppable. They were perfect up until the very last play of the half. You know, the last couple plays, I mean, even that drive, they get the ball back with a minute left. Even with the Bengals scoring the long screen play to Pirine, they have a minute left. They drive right down, you know, immediately. And they get... You know, it, it ends up being a thing where Andy Reid's timeout on the challenge, which was just a clear waste of a timeout. You just throw the challenge flag if you're going to challenge. Winds up probably costing them a little bit on that drive. They're able to to use another timeout, save a little bit more time, be a little bit more. I mean, it, it's not, you know, you can say the very last play they could have called a timeout. They probably would have called it earlier on the drive. It Regardless, it would have impacted how that drive played out. But up until that point where they don't score on the final drive of the first half, and they only have a 21-10 lead, which is crazy. It felt like they were sort of unstoppable. Their D's pretty good, and their D's playing pretty good for the most part. But even when they get stopped there, there's this knowledge that they're going to get the ball first in the second half, which the last time they played the Bengals, yes, is you know same 11-point deficit at half, but a little bit different. The Bengals got ball at half in, in that one, and sort of just the the first half looked more dominantly KC with the Bengals getting the ball first in the first half in this one and KC only having the four possessions in the first half but all of them looking like they could move the ball sort of at will to to flip that and then in the second half you're you know I mean teams make adjustments hats off to the Bengals making some some halftime adjustments they started dropping more guys into coverage but even that like usually is you get crushed by Patrick Mahomes when Mahomes when you only rush a couple guys I mean there was a key third down in the second half where they got a sack on him rushing three and I was like man like that's that felt like a turnover that felt like a huge play because usually Mahomes finds a way it was the third and three finds a way to scramble for the first down on that if you're only going to rush three guys they have a good offensive line they got five guys trying to block three how do you get to Mahomes there it was a a wild flip from the first half to the second half even as people were saying oh this you know this game's still close it's 21 to 10 and a half I was thinking it's not as close as people think Chiefs get the ball in the you know first in the in the second half it's not just a matter of getting back into the game. I mean, I think that's a big sort of issue that people make mentally with with thinking about whether the, the game is close. Like, it wasn't just could the Bengals get back into it, but they, they need to actually win this game, right? Like, they, it, cutting it to three or whatever, but the, the Chiefs continuing to score is never going to, you know, it's not it's not ultimately going to mean anything, right, if, if the Chiefs win. So even though it was 11 points at half, you know, I felt like they needed to get multiple stops in the second half. And then suddenly they just are. They're getting stops every single drive. It was just a crazy flip. I had a really hard time placing that where, like, I couldn't I, – I, in terms of blowing leads and stuff, that happens. But a lot of times it's, like, mistakes. I didn't feel like the Chiefs made a ton of mistakes. I just felt like 
how successful they were able to be against the Bengals defense changed so much. So again, hats off to, you know, defensive adjustments or whatever at halftime for the Bengals, but pretty shocking to me that the, that, you know, Mahomes, the QB, the, the QBR in the first half and second half and the, and the difference from the first half to the second half. I mean, again, I watch a lot of football that first half to me, I was like, this game is anything can happen in football. I mean, I I'll be the first one to say that, but it, it to me, it still, it felt like, the Bengals needed a lot, even after the way the first half closed very positively for them with the P run touchdown and the Chiefs not getting any points on the ensuing pl- uh, drive. They still like they needed a lot. <laughs> and I, it, it's shocking to me that they got it. And you mentioned they needed a lot. One of the things that is different between the first game and this game is that the Bengals actually did get a lot of stops, right? The previous time when they come back from the big deficit and hold the Chiefs to three points in the second half they were so dynamic offensively and controlled the ball so completely in the second half that all they had to do to hold the Chiefs to three points was to force two punts and then the Chiefs score the tying field goal at the end before then the Bengals go back and get the winning field goal but two punts I mean you can do two punts in this game they forced four punts and an interception now, I think that there are three things kind of going on here. One of them is what you and I always talk about, which is that it's a matter of possessions. But then within the matter of possessions, it's you have this element of having three downs to advance and you want to create as many third downs as possible because even the elite quarterbacks are not going to be absolutely perfect, right? And so you create some of these third downs and then you have that chance to get that punt, to get the mistake. We have passes that are just barely off you have Travis Kelsey not making a play that he usually makes. We saw that a little bit in the middle of the season where Travis Kelsey went through a little bit of a downturn. And one of the things that you've mentioned a lot on the show, which I think comes into play more than people realize as well, is this sequencing issue, right? Where we have the Chiefs so hot to end the game against Buffalo, so hot to start the game against Cincinnati. And that creates this feeling of inevitability on offense and granted I mean you have Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey at the end of the Bills game in the first half of the Bengals game you're thinking just how do you ever stop these guys because you have the best possession receiver and the best tight end in the NFL in Kelsey and you've got a guy with 4-2 speed in Hill and there's again that feeling of inevitability but kind of like I said it doesn't invalidate our overtime conversation at all which I really enjoyed and thought that you made some great points on doesn't invalidate that, but but this game here, and, you, and it's got a different feel, obviously, because the Bengals were good defensively in the second half. But one of the reasons why I didn't feel like the Chiefs scoring to defeat Buffalo in overtime was anticlimactic was that definitely in this game, you know, you had the sense that the Bill, I mean, the Bengals were going to get that stop. They were going to get the ball back and win. And so, you know, by the end of this game here as a Chiefs fan, <laughs> I mean, you're feeling like the Bengals are just playing better. But the other element is that, you put the sequencing with the adjustments and suddenly if you can make a few good plays, then those adjustments can really sort of snowball. Right. And the thing that we've seen with Andy Reid, and one of the criticisms that he always faced before he had Patrick Mahomes was game management issues. And one of the things that we've seen, even with Patrick Mahomes is that you've seen some closer margins in games than you might expect. Some of that is because of the, lack of defensive dominance but it almost gets worse when the defense plays better to where when they have these leads in the second half they don't go out and just try and embarrass teams now there's this sportsmanship question that always came up with the 2000 
seven Patriots. And then when they don't, you know, win some of these Super Bowls, people love to be all, you know, the 18 and one <laughs> as opposed to, and, and people really appreciated that because they felt like the Patriots were showing poor sportsmanship. But the other thing is just that they're guaranteeing they win those games by making sure that these margins are gigantic. And I don't feel like the Chiefs Mahomes teams have necessarily done that. And one of the things that you see in the second half here are a lot of first and 10 runs. Now, these runs weren't necessarily even ineffective, but they show a lack of this instinct to go out and use Patrick Mahomes, use Tyreek Hill, use Travis Kelsey to bury the opponent, right? And you're saying, okay, well, they're dropping all these guys into coverage. McKinnon's running well. Edwards Alaire is running well. You know, just take those six and seven yard plays. But again, I just, I don't want it to be on those guys. I want it to be with Patrick Mahomes. The other thing that we said, and the thing that I said last week that turned out to be completely wrong is the Chiefs aren't going to lose this game. The Bengals will have to win it. Well, I mean, you have that bad interception by Mahomes, but even with that, it's like no one's going to be completely perfect physically. And you've got to be there to take advantage of those situations. And the Bengals did that. And partly, you know, in that situation, you say, well, just even a punt there and the Chiefs are going to be fine. But it's just so important not to get so conservative that you have what happened on the other drives, right? I mean, the interception, at least they were trying there in some ways you could suggest. But between the adjustments, the sequencing, and this sort of lack of killer instinct that the Chiefs have had, it's almost one of these situations where when they go through and they win that Super Bowl and they're coming back in all of those games, you're like, we know as Chiefs fans that they're going to be going after it when they trail. And so it's almost the sense of dread that you get when you're way ahead because you're like, you know, are we going to continue to bury the opponent? That was one of the things that was kind of fun with that Bills game. It's just, you know, it's back and forth the whole time. There's never a chance where you can take your foot off the gas and then look back and feel like, I mean, they did blow this one, right? It was it was well done. I don't think it was, you know, something that the Bengals had. You, you know, you look at the, the end of the first half there and, you know, it's easy to say, well, the Chiefs blew that and they shouldn't have taken that timeout. And yet, I mean, we've seen teams go for it on fourth and, you know, one uh, down at the goal line when the clock wasn't even going to come into play, right? They just decided that going for the touchdown made more sense than going for the field goal. So even if you take the clock out of it, I mean, the fact that the Chiefs were aggressive there, I think made sense. Now, if it's anybody other than Tyreek Hill, you probably don't throw that pass because he's got guys between him and the end zone. And if he's tackled, the clock is going to run out. And so when Patrick Mahomes makes that decision, on the one hand, you're almost already thinking, well, the choke has started and the kind of difficult decision-making as they see this lead evaporate and as the pressure starts to go on, that's the first mistake. But it's, you know, it's Tyreek Hill. you got a guy with 4-2 speed, elite agility. You know, if anybody is going to actually beat the defenders in front of him right there, it's Hill. So you can understand that play also. I, this was just a, it was a great game. It was a great comeback by the Bengals. You know, as a Chiefs fan, you know, you really feel like, even some of the little things like Jerick McKinnon being hit way out of bounds, not getting the personal foul, uh, the unsportsmanlike conduct flag that was picked up somewhat weirdly because I mean, that foul obviously could be called. From, a, I think, a non-Chiefs perspective, as just a general fan, you know, you like to see it decided during the plays and not, you know, some fluky little thing after the plays. You know, I always hesitate to disagree with Tony Romo, but I think that the play by Fenton on Chase on the second 10 
was a fantastic defensive play. Yeah, I mean, he's touching him on the back, but doesn't turn him, gets his hand around. You, you see there's a great play on Chase there. They get the pass interference. That gives you a first down. And again, even though that drive ends up in a field goal, you have a first down instead of a third and 10. And what we're trying to do defensively against quarterbacks like Burrow and like Mahomes is to create third downs because third downs always gives you that chance to potentially get off the field. The other thing I would just say is that the pass rush wasn't able to do what Tennessee did, but there were a couple of really close calls late and we saw Joe Burrow break free. And you just love to see the competitiveness from Burrow there because we know that he is not a Josh Allen type scrambler. We know that he has knee soreness in addition to obviously coming off of this devastating knee injury last year and to see him fight through some of those tackles and to rush for the first downs it's just a fantastic football game i think you've got to give a ton of credit to the Bengals, to burrow to their defense you know all elements of this game obviously mcpherson you know knocking down those field goals like they're nothing i mean this is a triumph by the Bengals in all three phases yeah, I mean, I think you said so many great things there. The the point on the third downs, <clears throat> I just looked at it in the in the Chiefs' four first half possessions, they had four total third downs. So they did have to convert some third downs, and they did get some luck there. They converted all of them, but also all of them were third and three or shorter. Uh, three of them were third and one or third and two. And there was one that was third and three, and then you look at the second half and the Bengals were able to create, I mean, I think even just in your, your your commentary about creating third downs, it's important, but also there's an element where you create some third and sixes, you create some third and eights, some third and tens. And we, we saw that. I mean, they, they started to create some third and sixes and some, you know, the, the first two drives for the Chiefs when they punted, they were both third and sixes. They, they took a the sack on third and three that I mentioned. Their next punt was also after a third and six. So the, the Chiefs punt on four of their first five drives in the second half. Three of them were after third and sixes. So even just that length of those third downs was also a huge element for the Bengals where they were able to put them in. I think the analytics will tell you that third and six and third and ten is not a massive difference. That's a big reason why second and ten runs are so frowned upon because even if you get four or five, even potentially six yards and get to third and four, that's sort of the gray area. You're still in like a third and need to get a chunk of yards type of play basically third and passing, whereas third and three, third and two, third and one, you know, the, the rushing conversion rates are a lot stronger. And so there is a, a pretty big difference there between say third and two and third and six, much bigger difference than third and six and third and 10, which are very similar, I think, in the conversion rates. And again, a big reason why, you know, things like second and 10 runs to get four yards instead of third and six are pointless because third and six and third and 10 aren't that big of a difference. <clears throat> but I think that third down point was very, very on point they, you know, they just sort of created those plays. I mean, that's the thing with football. You know, we talk about football being this game of possessions and things, but it is, it really does come down to, you know, this third down conversions is key, you know, a couple key plays. And we, one of the things we talked about before the game is like when these big comebacks come, I think people have a hard time sort of wrapping their head around it. I'm having a really hard time wrapping my head around this particular game, even though it wasn't even the biggest scoreline we've ever seen overcome. I mean, the Rams one almost made more sense because the Rams just kept fumbling the football. It's like, okay, these are mistakes by the Rams. That's why it's happening. Bengals were able to come back and win this game and only score two touchdowns. Right. That's the part where it's like they didn't play that great. I mean, they played well, but like exactly, exactly what you just said. Um, they kicked all these field goals and they got these, you know, they got the two point conversion, but they weren't. How do you beat the Chiefs scoring two touchdowns? It, it was a more methodical thing. It was more a slow every possession. At the same time, the point I was going to make is, you know, for these major comebacks, 
it is a game of possessions. And so something can just happen when you stop several possessions in a row, four or five possessions in a row, and you're able to get points on four or five possessions in a row. Like that's how the comebacks happen. Like in, in football, that's, that's, I mean, if I was ever on a sideline in a game where you're down 24, the biggest message I'd be producing to my team or whatever is like, this feels insurmountable, but ultimately it's just get stops on every possession and score points on every possession. And then it's not as insurmountable. You just take it possession by possession we can't allow points. We have to score points. And, and because of the structure of football, those things are doable, right? You can get stretches of points. Yeah, they're very doable. In that sport in a different way than you can in some others. And so, yeah, they came back. They got it. Then you had some some good notes. Some interesting notes. This It wasn't nearly as exciting, I don't think. And partly I just, you know, everything was a, a huge letdown once my Chiefs were out. But we had an interesting, if not particularly well-played game between the 49ers and Rams, and we'll get to that after the break. Hello there, Colm Kelly here, co-host of the Rotoviz Overtime Podcast. I just want to take a moment to let you know, as a loyal Rotoviz Podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% off a Rotoviz NFL pass. All you have to do is head on over to rotoviz.com, add the subscription to your basket, and add the promo code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. That'll get you 10% off, it'll get you access to all of our content and tools, and of course, set you up for success in all your 2022 fantasy football rosters. That code is RVRADIO2022. I hope you enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.
All right, then. Well, Andy Reid should have thrown the challenge flag before calling the timeout on the Chiefs game, but a fairly minor blunder by comparison to some of the things we saw from Sean McVay in this one. Yeah, that was a very small thing. I think it's easy to look back at the end of the half and see how it, you know, it could have potentially bit the Chiefs. That's a big reason you know, you're talking about these things and then the way to quantify it again is in terms of thinking of football's possessions. It's like when you burn timeouts, you're potentially costing your team a possession at the end of the half, which is huge. The average team gets about 11 per game. You don't want to just jeopardize possessions. I mean, that's why turnovers are so huge. You can't jeopardize possessions. That's why these fourth down decisions to punt in situations are so huge. McVay and Shanahan, some really bad decisions. I mean, I think McVay costs his team this game if not for Shanahan being on the other side. I think the Shanahan punt decision on fourth and two from the Rams 45 first took the delay of game and made it fourth and seven and then punted from the 50, but they were on the Rams 45 fourth and two, 10 minutes left in the game. You're up three points. That that ended up being the Niners last best scoring opportunity. And they needed those points. I mean, they needed, you don't have a good enough offense. This is, that was more of like a defensive game throughout. You don't have enough of a, a good enough of an offense to just throw away a possession they make that decision to punt right before uh, the Rams drive back down the field. And Ben, let me jump in right there too, because the 49ers are one of these offenses that's really perfectly put together to convert the situation too. Where if you're Kyle Shanahan, you have to have your whole season kind of pointing at that play and know exactly what you want to run. Because you have Debo Samuel, who is sort of the ultimate weapon in this kind of circumstance. You have George Kittle being able to play off of him. You have Brandon Ayuk, who's playing well in this game. You have Elijah Mitchell in a running game that not only is an elite running game, but has a lot of flexibility to take a play like this and convert based on what you've seen from the defense all game. I mean, this is the point in the season where you call the play that is your best play right? The play that is kind of your combination of the best play and the one that fits this situation and what the Rams have done in this game defensively the most. And it's maybe even something where you bring in Trey Lance. Now, it's something where you're going to have some concern about doing that because he hasn't been playing. And one of the things that they said is the reason they haven't had packages for Lance is that it messes up his play calling as he tries to kind of go forward and work off of what the defense is doing. But I mean, this would have been the thing where if, if you want Lance to be ready and to have a package to go in or a play to go in, he could go in. I mean, he's an option. I'm not saying they should have done that, but you have so many different things you can do. And even if it's a deal where Garoppolo's hand is limiting you somewhat, and that factors into your decision-making with the 49ers, you have so many options. You've got a great play caller, a good offensive line, this unbelievable running game, so many different guys you can go to. And even within the context of the play, I mean, you could run one of your plays where you have a lot of different options to beat however that play transpires. And so to not, Go after it when you are set up that way. And that should theoretically be one of your best strengths. I mean, that's frustrating. A huge huge mistake. You're up 17-14. It's almost like they were thinking they needed to win at 17-14. I mean, you don't know how it's going to play out after that. But you're playing a field position game. The Rams then – I mean, here's how it played out from there. Ten minutes left. Rams drive down, kick a field goal. So the field position game didn't even actually matter that much. You're talking about the difference between if you go for it on fourth down at the Rams 45 and don't convert, you're giving them the ball around midfield a little bit in their own territory as opposed to pinning them at their own 15. But the Rams were still able to get into field goal range on the next drive anyway. And then 
the 49ers take over. They go backwards. They go a three and out, did not gain any yards, incomplete pass, a delay of game. They end up punting on a three and out. Rams drive down, kick another field goal. Same exact thing for the 49ers. They start at the 25, and they don't get past the 25. They went backwards for, for three yards, and then the Jimmy Garoppolo sort of hilarious interception. Point being, you know, you don't know what's going to happen on those two drives, but they didn't even get the ball past their own 25 in those next two drives. And that was their last best chance to add points. And because they didn't, because they gave that possession up, again, this is like the perfect example of football as a game of possessions. They gave that possession up. All they made the Rams do to beat them was get into field goal range on their two final drives. You're at a point in the game. Yeah, there's 10 minutes left. We think about it from time. It's more like each team's going to have two more drives after this. So what do we need to win from here? Why are we making our opponent only need to settle for field goals on both of their drives if we're not able to then score on our two drives, which we know is a real risk. We've been having trouble scoring all game in this game. Don't make, don't give your opponent the out to just have to score two field goals. Make them have to score a touchdown in a game like this. They give up that drive. They make that punt decision. You started this segment by mentioning McVay's mistakes. Just horrible decisions. I mean, he burns a timeout instead of a delay of game that I think, you know, first of all, you, you don't want to be put in a position where you're going to take that delay of game. But they had already challenged early in the second half and lost and burnt a timeout. Second half timeout, so, so crucial. And then they burn their second timeout instead of taking delay of game. I almost would have just taken the delay. I think it was a first and 10. And it's like, just take the delay of game. I know that's not great to put yourself at first and 15, but those timeouts potentially save possessions at the end of games, full possessions. And first and 15 is not going to end the possession in the same way that, um, you know, not having the timeout might prevent you from getting a possession later, et cetera. So they burn a timeout to save a delay of game. And now they have two timeouts down and he throws the challenge flag with, a, with um, I, I mean, at, it was in, in the early fourth quarter, I think about 10 minutes left. Yeah, it was right before Shanahan's punt decision. That's the other crazy thing. Shanahan had time to consider. They threw the challenge flag that Ju, Juice, Juice checked may have fumbled on the third and two run where he didn't gain any yards, it created the fourth and two burn their last challenge. So now from 10 minutes in the game until the two minute warning, you're not able to challenge anything, burn their last time out by losing that. I mean, I think there's no way you can throw the challenge flag at that point with only one timeout left, unless you are absolutely certain that the call, I mean, it's gotta be one of those ones where it's like 98% to overturn. And, and they went to commercial and they're not showing replays. And I'm thinking he must have really seen something. They must be really sure. They come back and show the replay. It wasn't even close. I mean, he's down. And then, like, after his elbow is down and he's laying on the ground, the guys punched the ball out. I mean, McVay deserves a ton of criticism for the way he was so fast and loose with all of his timeouts and his challenges. At that point in the game, I'm thinking the Rams have now really elevated the risk that they've cost themselves a possession they're going to need. Because at that point, you're like, we're – we're a three-point game, 10 minutes left. There's only a couple possessions left each for each team, and those are huge possessions. It's a close game. You're going to potentially lose one of maybe two or three remaining possessions if the 49ers are able to control the ball a little bit, run clock. As it turned out, it did not matter, so we didn't see you know the ramifications of those poor decisions manifest in the same way that you know they were, like you said, much more minor decision than the Andy Reid thing, but we did see it potentially manifest. It's not really you know clear at the end of the first half if that timeout costs them. The point is more just that you're taking on additional risk, right? So McVay makes all these decisions. I think, you know, really, really ratcheted up the risk that he was going to have cost himself and his team a possession. And part of the only reason he doesn't is because 
uh, Shanahan on the other side decides to punt on fourth and two. Just some really, really poor decisions. And then you go back also to the Chiefs game. And just to sort of wrap this all up in the way that I was thinking of it, you talked about some of the first and 10 runs for the Chiefs. The Bengals did that a ton. The Bengals made a, a lot of poor decisions in this game for a team that came back and won. They didn't go all out and throw. And same way you were talking about winning the game with Hill and Kelsey, they didn't win the game try as much to win the game with Chase and Higgins are trying to run on first and 10 a lot and getting two yard gains and putting, you know, Burrow in tough spots. And part of that is why they settle for field goals. And they even had a second half punt when you're down by a ton, you can't be having, you know, giving away possessions in the second half by run. I mean, the, the second half punt was their first drive. They got a 44 yard completion to T Higgins. Then they ran the ball for two yards, took a delay of game or for no game, took a delay of game. And now you're at second and 15. I mean, that's not how you start a series of, of plays by running on first and 10 and then, you know, taking a delay of game penalty, they ended up punting on that series. They didn't get another first down on that drive. Those types of decisions, the big overarching thing for me was we have some coaches in the final four, and I'm actually going to put Andy Reid outside of this because I think, you know, his mistakes were more minor. He's had some issues with this stuff throughout his entire career. But I think LaFleur, McVay, and Shanahan all consistently, almost like weekly throughout the regular season, have struggled with these decisions about putting your team in the best chance to win, making the right types of play calling decisions. I mean, for Taylor, it's less about like timeouts and stuff. I, I'm not as certain about the Bengals making a lot of timeout issue uh, errors, but it's more about the first 10 runs and those things and not understanding what is the best way for your offense to be efficient and score points. For, for McVay and Shanahan, it's been some really, really poor, you know, timeout decisions, fourth and 10. Uh, I mean, fourth down punt decisions for Shanahan. He's, that's been an issue for him for for years now. We're we're gonna have a Super Bowl now with McVay and Taylor. That like the, these teams are not gonna be firing at their at their you know sort of elite potential. And that's you know again part of the reason I felt like the Chiefs were gonna win the the game in the NFC Championship. They're firing at an elite potential, and the Bengals weren't. I mean, the, the Chiefs' offense felt like it was their final form. So anyway, it, it is wild to me. And, and my thought was. No wonder, you know, Bill Belichick dominated the league for so long. I mean, you, you go back and you look at the coaches that are able to take the little edges. We've talked about this on the show before, Sean, where it's all about little edges, little advantages. And Belichick has some of his own issues with clock management and fourth down decisions. But he's so good at in all different phases, finding little edges and understanding how those things add up. Little things that help your team and then a bunch of them adds up. It's like how people don't understand how, you know, with money people don't understand how a bunch of little charges on your credit card is going to add up as opposed to like one big purchase. It, it is a, it, it's just a fascinating thing for me that now that Belichick's team is not as good, we're moving into this new era. Brady's, you know, potentially retiring. There is still an opportunity for teams that are willing to embrace forward thinking analytics and stuff to, to take enough little edges to then be very, very good. It'll be interesting to see what the chargers can do, right? It'll be interesting to see, what the Ravens can do. Some teams that have been more willing to embrace some of these forward thinking decisions, they both failed to make the playoffs this year. But we talk about, you know, you talked about the Chiefs. We think they're going to get back. We think they're going to have more opportunities. The AFC is loaded. You also mentioned that. Those types of teams might be able to leverage the fact that there are so many of these other good young coaches that don't want to embrace this stuff. And those guys can get better too. But it is fascinating to me. I love this Super Bowl. I think it's really fun that we have the Bengals and the Rams. I think they're fun teams, fun young coaches. It's also crazy to me that you can have two coaches that are not taking advantage of everything you you can take advantage of and are going to be playing in the Super Bowl despite that because there's no one in the league. There's only 32 teams that is actually you know both good enough and taking advantage of enough little edges to make them pay for it. And there, there just wasn't this year anyone good enough to make these teams pay for it. 
the Patriots, again, I go back for all those years, that to me, you look at how many times they won come from behind games and all those things. And so much of that, I don't want to take anything away from the Patriots run, Tom Brady, all that stuff. But so much of that was letting opponents make mistakes, continuing to do the right thing, continuing to score in every possession, try to get stops, do all that. But then letting opponents make mistakes. It was, you know, just bad decisions. The, the Seahawks at the goal line, the Falcons not, you know, taking a sack and throwing the ball and, and not taking the field goal range when they had it in their blown Super Bowl. Um, you know, the, there was the, the Chiefs AFC championship that the Chiefs made some mistakes, I believe, right? Like there's so many, I, I, the pitchers have so many of these games. I don't, they all kind of run together, but it, the Bucks last year were similar that, their opponents made a lot of mistakes. Every single one of the Bucks wins last last playoffs. All four of them, they had touchdowns on possessions that started in their opponent's territory. It's just crazy to me. We talk so much about analytics. Analytics are ruining the game, this, that, and the other thing. We had great examples this weekend of, of coaches losing win percentage points or the way that I think about it is like really risking the possibility of giving up a possession at the end of a game. You don't want to play fast and loose with your possessions and your opportunities and yet they still were able to win. They're able to make it to the to the Super Bowl. Clear, clear examples of teams failing to do the things they need to do analytics-wise. And, you know, an- analytics got hammered during the season when you had the Ravens losing two games with going for two-point conversions at the end. Really isn't an analytics decision. That's a 50-50 one. But uh, also the, the Chargers' fourth-down decisions all throughout the year. Their loss to the Chiefs where they went forward on fourth down several times. It were right decisions that did not go correctly, you know, or in favor of their – their decision-making process, the outcome, you know, it's still an odds-based thing. It's still probability, and, and they didn't hit on, on a lot of those decisions. That stuff got hammered. I think the playoffs has been such a – as many great games as we've had, as many close games as we've, as we've had, such a great example of how you can go wrong and how you can take advantage of these little edges. And the NFL is just ripe, I think, right now for – the teams that are willing to embrace this to take those little edges and beat teams like the Rams and Bengals who are going to watch in the Super Bowl. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think that these teams maybe haven't been quite as poor as what you're suggesting, but it is a reason why I, I, I expect the Bills to be just – I expect the Bills and the Chiefs to still be the dominant force over the next decade. Some of those things you mentioned with the Bengals uh, – the, it is a reason why I think this is their chance. I mean, they're going to be good. Don't get me wrong, but they need to win this. Obviously, the Rams need to win this. They've kind of go, gone all in with it. An interesting kind of thought on the challenges. We talked about some changes to OT last week, and I guess watching the way that these games played out, yes, there is a strategic element to it, or you know, your challenge tactics have to be correct you can't challenge plays just because you prefer that they went differently at the same time the idea of having the extra penalty of losing the timeouts when you are incorrect on a challenge i think that the time for that is past i mean the idea that coaches are going to be challenging things fast and loose i mean it there are only a couple of challenges you get and if you get one wrong you don't get a third it's not like we're wasting big chunks of games reviewing plays that should never have been challenged and that if we take away this timeout penalty suddenly we're going to get all of these nonsensical challenges i mean you're going to always need to save your challenges for the key moment because there are plays that are missed by the officials maybe there are going to be some 50 50 plays late in the game that are high leverage they're difficult to see and you need to be able to go ahead and just challenge that and not have it come down to whether or not you could afford to risk the timeout. I mean, the idea here is that we want to get these plays right, not 
be super fast. And so that element of it for the Rams to get in so much trouble because of these challenges for the Chiefs to, you know, be trying to consider what they wanted to do on theirs, it definitely affected these games in a way where really we just want the officiating to be right. And so I think that element might be something that the NFL could look at a little bit, and especially on some of these where even after the review, you know, you are trying to figure out what the officials thought. I mean, if you challenge a play correctly and don't get it overturned for whatever reason, and, you know, as fans, we tend to feel like our team should get the call, but there are tons and tons and tons of plays every season where just sort of as a neutral observer, you're like, I just, I don't, I don't understand why they went that direction on it. If you challenge correctly, the play doesn't get overturned and you lose that element of it to also lose a timeout. It seems just the wrong way to have that element of the game work. So I could see them changing that. The point I wanted to note with the 49ers decision in this sort of field goal position decision is that there is an element of it where the defense is playing really well and you want your unit that has been so dominant over the last you know months, six weeks, what have you, to have the game in their hands down the stretch. At the same time, you cannot play the field position battle the same way with 10 minutes left in the game and ahead that you could play it in the first half because now suddenly we're in a position where the Rams are looking at four downs, essentially. And now you've got to get an extra stop. And so the field position is offset by the urgency that the offense is going to feel. And so you just, you can't punt there, right? And it's a different situation than earlier in the game. When you were ahead with by three points in the fourth quarter, the opposing team is going to play it differently. 100%. And just wanted to add as well, I think the second part of that is how many possessions are remaining in the game. I mean, I kind of mentioned that I was in my rant, uh, kind of kind of threw that thought out there. But you talk about early in the game, there's still six possessions, eight possessions left for each team, depending where you are in the game. There's a lot that can happen across those possessions. So giving up the possession there, less important than when you make the decision in the fourth quarter and you're maybe only going to get the ball twice more. There's a lot more variance. There's a lot more. You've got to maximize at that point. So we talked about some mistakes that these teams have made. Uh, we do want to quickly mention that Matthew Stafford uh, gets his team into the Super Bowl. Now, he did make the big mistake, and his sort of punt pass was not caught. So, you know, a, a little bit of a balance there. The 49ers did have their chance, actually, to, to win this game by catching that pass. But Stafford found Cup. Again, Cooper Cup just, you know, we, we kind of mentioned <laughs> in last week's show that we think he is a possible 101 selection in 2022 fantasy drafts, that his situation very similar to Antonio Brown when he was dominating drafts and was a better choice than running backs. Every week you go out and watch Debo Samuel and Cooper Cup and think, well, this is the week where teams are going to actually stop them because they're the thing you have to stop. And you're facing these incredible athletes on the defensive side of the ball and week after week they come through. I mean, Cooper Cup not only is the MVP of the 2021 season, but he's been the MVP by a wider margin than in almost any season in recent memory. So that one, I mean, and I say that as someone who lost a ton of fantasy money because of Cooper Cup. And so, but I mean, he's been absolutely extraordinary. Got to get him some credit. Odell Beckham looked good in this game, gave them a second receiver. One of the things that did crop up in the second half of the Chiefs game is just that lack of a third weapon. 
I was so proud of the Bengals for going out and getting Jamar Chase when they already had T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. I think that the Kansas City Chiefs this offseason, they have to make that draft pick to give themselves another weapon. Their team overall has essentially no other weaknesses. Now, could you add some more defenders to get even better on defense? You can't. And we did see you know, them get beaten by Gabriel Davis and Jamar Chase at times this year, but their defense is fantastic. You have to be able to... You know, put up 40 plus points a game in the playoffs and blow teams out, right? When you have Patrick Mahomes, you can't afford to give up any part of your window. I mean, they're a team like the Patriots. They should win five or six Super Bowls in the next decade. Go out and get that wide receiver so you kind of lock that down. The Bengals, you know, we, we've criticized their aggressiveness with giving the ball to Joe Mixon, but the aggressive decision they made in the NFL draft has played out perfectly. You love to see a team go after that aggressively. And even though the Rams aren't my favorite team because of the mercenary aspect that I've mentioned from time to time, you've got to give them credit for going after it too and trying to win. And one of the things that as a fan is always frustrating is if you feel like your team management doesn't care as much as you do, a lot of times that's actually not correct, right? I mean, the team management has to show some patience. You don't want to get into the situation that the New Orleans Saints are in now. I mean, they're gonna be bad for a long time it really looks like and a team like the Packers who's always criticized for not doing some of those things that's the flip side of it and yet at the same time if you're a Packers fan or a 49ers fan and you've seen these decisions to draft quarterbacks in the first round and then not have them or you know the other things you would have been able to get for those picks when they're playing in the semifinals, in the conference finals, and now you have the Rams in there. It's just very hard for those teams. So congratulations to the Bengals. Congratulations to the Rams. It should be a great Super Bowl. These are teams that are great on offense, great on defense. It should be a fantastic game. I, I love this matchup. Yeah, I love the matchup. I, I, I agree with everything you said. I've been way more negative on this, this podcast than probably should have been it's it's fun i i i'm not somebody who's like i mean i think i've seen some people be like this is not a positive thing that none of the top seeds made it and it's not really indicative of who the best teams were or whatever i i'm completely the opposite i think this is awesome like i think it's super cool that either Bengals fans are going to get their first super bowl ever yeah ever um and and really i mean they were the big story out of the first round was the Bengals won their first playoff game since 1991 i believe it was and now they're going to have another Super Bowl appearance, their first since the 80s, and a legitimate chance to win it. I mean, it's super exciting. And on the flip side, Matthew Stafford, all his years in Detroit, whatever your thoughts are on that, I don't have a strong opinion, Sean, you probably do uh, more than I do, but uh, and, and and have and have shared that. But I I think him being in his first year in, with the Rams is exciting. I, I like McVay as many – it's almost like I want the young guys to be more forward-thinking because I feel like they're more capable of it. They're not football lifers and – I go back to like fantasy douche's book, right? Like he wrote and he talked about how some of these young guys were going to come in and find all these little edges, the Brandon Staley types and be able to actually move the league forward. So it's a little disappointing to me that the ones that are coming in and having success aren't doing those things. They should be smarter than this in my opinion. So it's a little, I mean, McVay is so smart in so many other ways. I don't even, I obviously don't want to question his intelligence at all. The guy's a genius. It, that's why it's so frustrating that they're just giving up these little edges at times. But super excited for him. They they lose in the Super Bowl. You can tell this guy's super passionate about it. You mentioned the mercenary thing is a bad thing, and you mentioned it last week, and I almost wanted to jump in and make a comment last week. I love it. I mean, for all the reasons you just said, I think it's great that teams are, like, put more pressure on these teams. I mean, when you're a fan of teams, you want them to do what the Rams have done. 
And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't work out. But the, especially the cheaper decisions they've made, going out and getting Vaughn Miller. I mean, that wasn't super cheap. I think it was a second and a third round pick. Those are significant picks. But going out and getting Vaughn Miller when when the Broncos are trying to move him in season, and then the Beckham one is even cheaper. I mean, that that's not a move that really costs them anything long term to go and sign him as a free agent. Go get contributors. I mean, they've they've obviously made additional big decisions. The Jalen Ramsey trade was giving up first round picks and the, the Matthew Stafford trade gave up a lot of future capital. They've really pushed all their chips in in, in certain ways, but the little additions where they're willing to continue to try to add and build around Aaron Donald and not waste his prime and build around, you know, Cooper cup and some of these pieces they have, you know, the Patriots did that for a long time. Again, I mean, go back to them, their willingness to bring in guys. Some of them didn't work, but it was a lot of low risk decisions. They brought in a lot of veterans. that didn't work. Obviously they brought in Randy Moss for way too cheap. They got him for a fourth round pick and it completely propelled them into a, you know, one of the best seasons in football history. They made decisions like that all throughout. And the Chiefs' move to bring in Melvin Ingram was a big part of turning their defense around. You need you need a guy, and you can make a move, and you're trying to win Super Bowls. You know, do that. And it, it is crazy in the NFL how these veterans that are contributors are available for reasonably cheap. A lot of times you can get them for a fourth-round pick or a third-round pick, and they're going to be able to give you more production this year than – those picks are going to, you know, their hit rates and everything. It's almost like the inverse of our, our dynasty conversation about perpetually reloading. I mean, there's teams that can perpetually reload in the NFL and do it correctly and do it well. But a part of that in the NFL with guys having really narrow, you know, careers and all that stuff is being willing to go pick up talent that can help you today, especially when you're on the, on the doorstep. There's so many teams whose fans wish that their, their teams would act like that. So the Rams finding success in doing that, I mean, I think that's just such a clear edge, and, and some of these really good players shouldn't be so available to the only teams that want to want to win or are trying to win. And you know, sometimes it feels like more than half the league isn't even really trying to win. The ability to just kind of get these guys and and win, and put it all together. I think it's a good coaching job. A lot of times we've seen those guys not mesh well. You know, the mercenary type players, and, and they get brought in and they don't fit into a new system, or they're you know the, the culture isn't right or whatever. So. I actually like that. I like that about the Rams. Hats off to them. I think that they're willing to push it in, that they're clearly trying to win, that they're willing to go after it. They have a bunch of these guys that are sort of, you know, misfits or whatever. Again, Ramsey, Von Miller. Uh, I mean, Miller won a Super Bowl with the Broncos, but Odo Beckham, some of the others that didn't have an opportunity to ever play in a Super Bowl on, on some of their other teams. Matthew Stafford, obviously, um, are getting an opportunity now to play on a team that you know, is has has shown all along that they're going to push all the chips in and try to win and go for it. And so I'm excited about the Rams. And it's a very good team. I mean, you mentioned, I'm, I'm surprised, but obviously I'm not following this stuff on Twitter, but the idea that this wouldn't be a great Super Bowl matchup. If you ask people at the very beginning of the year, which was the best team in the NFC, a lot of people are going to say the Los Angeles Rams, the fact that they're here in the end, even though they weren't the number one seed, I wouldn't consider that to be a surprise. It's just sort of the evolution of the season as it goes through. The fact that we had depth, through the first you know four or five even six seeds on both sides with teams that are strong on both sides of the ball that's great for football that's not a problem you know when you have the one and two seeds as the only legitimate teams that that are good that is a problem so i i love the way these playoffs have played out because we've gotten to see a lot of good teams with balanced offense balanced defense you know and i think the coaching has been very good too we, we picked on a couple of the mistakes but this is, I mean, this is 
where we wanted to be for a long time. And there have been a lot of playoff seasons where we haven't had this. You have these teams that either are good on offense, good on defense, just not well-rounded teams that kind of fluked into it. And then you get, you know, fluky Super Bowls again because of the limited number of possessions and individual plays have such high leverage to be at a point here where, you know, both teams are so good in so many ways. It's fantastic. And I think it's great for not only this season, but people who love the NFL have to be excited about 2022, 2023, 2024. We're about to embark on a golden era. It just, it's absolutely fantastic. I think, I think you're absolutely right. Um, there, I, again, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I think McVay's a really good coach. And so like it's guys like that. I think Taylor's done a good job. I think Shanahan's a really good coach. It's guys like that, that I, I guess I, you know, I, I probably should mention that and say that more clearly that I think these guys are definitely above average coaches and should be longtime head coaches. It's just bothersome to me that they can't take these extra, like they're giving up, you know, win probability and they, they can't take these extra edges that seem easy that there's been a lot of discussion about. It doesn't take a lot to learn them. In my opinion, I don't think it's that complicated uh, that, that, you know, you have this sort of, we know better because we've been in, in the football world our whole lives, which I don't think those coaches necessarily are that way. But I think that is what permeates. You go back to like, uh, what was it? Dean Pease, I think, from Atlanta, who had the comments about analytics and, and just clearly like has rejected it before even trying to understand it. And there's so many things he knows. He's That guy has worked in football his whole life. He, he forgot more about football than I'll ever know about so much that goes into coaching beyond these things that are more readily apparent to us as viewers uh i completely agree with you that on all those other things behind closed doors these coaches do those things well i mean like pete carroll is a good example of it there's obviously things pete carroll does very well and then there's all these elements that it's like why are you they're more forward facing and they're more obvious when you're watching games but why like why are you not willing to embrace those things as well and that's just sort of a frustration of like not maximizing um you know, the potential of your team and, and all of those things. It doesn't mean that they're bad coaches in, in, in net. I think they're, they're still very strong coaches. It's a super exciting Super Bowl. I, I'm very excited for either Joe Burrow in the second season or for Matthew Stafford in his first in with the Rams to win a Super Bowl, the way that we write these narratives and all these things, the quarterback winds up getting a lot of, um, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of the blame or a lot of the credit and, when we look back on these guys' careers, one of them will be a Super Bowl winner. One of them, you know, it, it's very possible that either of them will have only played in one Super Bowl and, and lose. And, and that would be, you know, whoever loses in this game, that that would be, you know, a bummer that this was their only chance. That That's a possibility. But it's nice that one of them will, will get one so we won't have to sit and talk about, you know, they never won the big game. <laughs> you know, like I always like that, you know, more guys, we don't have to hear those types of discussions. Um, I didn't want like a – kind of rude but i don't want like jimmy garoppolo to to go and win this year it was like that i'd rather see mahomes win a second because i don't want to hear those narratives either i'd rather see josh allen go out and win his first some of these quarterbacks that play so well clearly um and then they wind up getting only one quarterback can win a super bowl every year right and and we have so many narratives of quarterbacks that can't win the big game and part of that is because brady over this last several you know two decades has won so many of them that it just hasn't been a lot of opportunities and in the playoffs you can win or lose a game by a couple of plays. You can win and lose any football game by a couple of plays, but um, it doesn't always come back to the quarterback. So you wind up with, I mean, even the guys that have won one, Aaron Rodgers, you, we have so many discussions about him. So much of Aaron Rodgers, so many of the seasons that he could have won them didn't fall on his shoulders, right? Like the different things that happened where he did enough to win games. At any rate, um, excited about the the potential for one of these quarterbacks to win, one of these teams to win. 
both of these fan bases, I mean, um, certainly the Bengals long suffering fan base. Uh, the Rams are again, a little bit more mercenary in, in that way as well. Having moved to LA and more 49ers fans at this game than, than even Rams fans. But you feel like this game will be a breath of fresh air for St. Louis. Yeah, they're, they gotta be miserable right now, but yeah, it's, it's a very fun game. A lot of very fun narratives. And I completely agree with you. It is uh, energizing and, and rejuvenating in terms of what we have to look forward to in 2022, 2023, the next several years, there's going to be a lot of really great football to come. The NFL is in a, in a great spot. Well, then speaking of stacking the little edges and I mentioned the chiefs, hopefully will be in a position to add a wide receiver we've got a lot of receiver depth in this draft and some of those players are going to fall to teams that probably can take advantage of them right away the rotaviz rookie guide you know obviously i'm biased but i'm i'm excited about i think it can be one of those little edges that people add from a fantasy perspective it's been cool to watch this come together over the last couple of weeks curtis patrick has done a great job sort of wrangling this and as i watch him you know put the guy together over the last three or four days it's been really cool and then reading the articles by travis may dave cabin and blair andrews obviously again i'm biased but those are three of my favorites and i think they've outdone themselves in this guide you know multiple mock drafts that we have we look at different formats so if you're playing the road of his triflex format you're covered if you're playing the normal dynasty format you're covered obviously we've got rankings in there as well i'll bet i'm excited about this coming out yeah, should be an absolute blast. I'm incredibly excited for it as well. We're getting to that to that part of the year again. We talked a little bit last week about some of the rookies, a, a quick preview, and we'll be talking about it more as well. But certainly the guide is going to be where you're going to get the the why behind it and you know just more specifics, you know, the, the, the actual rankings, the actual mock drafts, all of those things that are so important. I'm thrilled. I'm going to read it cover to cover. It's definitely, a, you know, I can't miss – product i think even if you're not playing dynasty and things like that i mean it's so huge to understand how to evaluate rookies coming into the nfl <clears throat> that that plays into a ton of the things that i look at look at and talk about in stealing signals talk about sort of the long view i think we do a bad job as a fantasy football industry overall at large in essentially only evaluating players on what they've done in the nfl level and it's like a, we need to see it first and then by the time you've seen it at the NFL, those windows can close so quick. I think it's super, super important to recognize these games that were played in college. They didn't count for any of our fantasy titles and for you know NFL leagues. Some people play college fantasy, obviously, but they didn't count for any of that. But it is information. It's data. We've seen whether these guys can produce numbers and all that. And, and we know, Sean, from, from your work for so many years, that production begets pr production. We want to know how productive these players have been in college, whether they're going to be productive in the pros and, and it helps you early in their career respond when guys are, you know, in their rookie season, having stretches of production. Is that a continuation of multiple years of college production? Cause we do have a longer track record than just those few games. Or is this like, you know, maybe more a product of situation and this guy doesn't have a long track record. We probably shouldn't expect this guy to be the next superstar. Those types of decisions are so important. And so that requires actually doing the research on the rookies as they come into the league and recognizing we have more information, more data than most fantasy analysts are willing to, to look at because they just want to look at what they do once they hit the NFL level. Such a, such a key and such an untapped resource to be looking at this rookie stuff. And, and you guys at Rotovis, the, the work that you guys do is second to none. And so 
absolute can't miss uh, product in terms of not just letting you know whether or not you want to target these rookies and redraft for this year, but for next year and for the next couple of years, understand the class before they come in. It will, it will completely reshape the way you think about fancy for the next two, three years. Well, I appreciate you saying that. That's, that's really cool. You mentioned, even if you don't like dynasty and, and that, that is a good way to look at it. I hadn't necessarily even been thinking about that. Uh, as I was reading through the last couple of days, but Blair and I, and you and I are going to be doing this, Blair Anderson and I have been drafting in one of the never too early FFPC best ball drafts. And one of the things that we know is that rookies become more and more expensive as you go through. And so some of that is going to obviously depend on where guys are going to land in the NFL draft. So there are going to be a handful of guys who actually probably drop. And so you draft early, you take some risk at the same time. If you're comfortable with risk as part of your draft, your sort of overarching draft strategy, and one of the things that you and I talk about is to embrace risk, to embrace uncertainty, that if you're going to be a truly dominant player, you need to be willing to draft players with some wide range of outcomes, and you need to be willing to take some risks, right? And so the product helps from that perspective. It's interesting because I don't think there's going to be a ton of controversy this year at the running back position at least in terms of where dynasty participants think these guys should go, generally speaking, versus where the NFL draft community, speaking mostly in terms of NFL GMs and, and their scouts and whatnot, think these guys are going to go. Right now, it's interesting because there are some strong reasons to believe that the current mock drafts that you're seeing are, I don't know, inefficient is the right word but maybe they're a little misleading at the quarterback position and maybe they're a little misleading at the wide receiver position in so many of these cases, in part because it really is reliant upon what we know about the profiles that actually do transition well to the NFL and the profiles that outperform draft position. I feel comfortable in saying that the dynasty community is often right at this time of the year. Now, doesn't mean they're going to necessarily get the draft position right. And the draft position is going to affect the early opportunity. It's going to affect where some of these guys go. And yet there are opportunities now, if you understand the backgrounds of these players, to take some guys who are likely to go higher in the draft than people currently think. And even if they don't, if they're drafted into a range where they do get to play some as rookies, they're going to outperform that draft position. You know, the guys who slip into round six, round seven, those guys are, are pretty are in trouble as rookies, but there are going to be a lot of opportunities to beat your draft. And that's the key thing you're trying to do, get a little bit more value at the slot than what you should really get. Yep. I was just going to go there. Um, I completely agree. And I think it's a little easier maybe for me to even say it because you're somebody who has driven so much of this research. Um, so in some ways you're like hesitant to say that because you're almost patting yourself on the back, but I have not done as much rookie research as a lot of, you know, other analysts who are as deep into it as I am in, in other ways throughout my time in the fantasy industry. I, I definitely look at rookies and all that, but I don't consider myself, I mean, I sort of know what to look at, but I don't consider myself a huge prospect analyst. And yet I'm always looking for ways to improve my process and improve the way that I'm looking at fantasy football. And, you know, I did start at Rotoviz. I'm biased as well in all of those things, but I would say that, like what you just said is, I, I mean, this is exactly where I was going to go, where it sounds improbable. It sounds like 
irrational confidence, but these specific, and, and I want to be clear that's it's not, I mean, I've seen a lot of the like film-based takes and those types of things. And I, I definitely think there are people out there that are very, very good at that and able to find edges at that. I would say that for the majority of the, the sort of more film-based stuff that is less rigorous in terms of, uh, you know, an actual uh, criteria that is easily re replicable because it is really challenging to, to be, I mean, when you're, when you're a film analyst, every single player you analyze is it's sort of, a separate i mean I, I i don't know i'm not i'm not trying to be critical it is challenging to consistently have the same process over even just one class and watching hours and hours and hours of film and then over multiple years and all those things and so you can have some hits that maybe don't carry over to future you know years of analysis where i'm going with this is you're the way that you guys look at it is very numbers based it is very clear and over the years that i've followed it the, the accuracy is literally better than the NFL draft. It, it is giving you a better chance of getting production in, you know, out of these players than NFL GMs are. I mean, and I, again, it, it's like the reason I'm putting so much preamble into this point is that sounds very cocky. And yet, you know, as somebody who hasn't made a lot of these predictions myself and has just been tracking other people. And like I said, looking from, for edges that I can exploit, I feel very strongly about that, that, um, there are opportunities here that NFL teams don't take advantage of. You guys have done an incredible job of identifying those opportunities in a way that it's not just that there are some hits and some misses. It's that there are consistently, you know, you're like, and that's the important part. You're able to consistently outperform, you know, draft capital and those types of other, you know, clear indicators of, of what success might come for these players as well. And so there are going to be hits. There are going to be misses. One of the big things I talk about with, you know, different types of fantasy analysis is just because there are some hits, if people want to emphasize those hits, <clears throat> they might not actually be improving things over the large sample. You flip a coin enough times, you know, you're going to have some heads, you're going to have some tails, whatever. If you're getting, if your hit rate is right around 50% over a large sample, it doesn't really matter that you had some hits if you also have some misses. This is something that I believe very strongly there are more hits than misses in terms of trying to follow this type of stuff. So if you're new to it or whatever, again, I, I think it's very, very valuable. Uh, we're going to have a, a great time talking about it over the next few months. It is going to be fun. And I should also just mention that every year I do this and not just on the NFL draft, but on everything fantasy, I have less confidence in how right I am about things. I have more understanding of how many things I don't know and we always try and kind of incorporate that into our draft approach we talk about humility-based drafting as being you know sort of a, a corollary to or, or part of some of the zero rb types of things i think that knowing what you don't know and then having a plan for actually exploiting that lack of understanding and just again the wide range of outcomes is something that can be very helpful in fantasy and so we're always trying to to take advantage of that we are wrong all the time about things and, and you have to have a plan for still winning. Then we got a lot to cover on our second show this week, but that's going to wrap us up for this edition of Ceiling Bananas. Uh, we we did record early. If you subscribe to our feed, you'll get these shows when they come out. Uh, it's been a blast as always. I'm Sean Siegel. With me is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretch. Got all kinds of cool things coming up in his Stealing Signals newsletter this offseason. Make sure you subscribe to that. Uh, if you're interested in the NFL draft or just dominating your fantasy leagues, buy the Rotoviz draft 
uh, rookie guide. It is coming out today. And we also have a discount in there that's even better than some of our normal discounts. So if you want a cheap subscription to Rotoviz, that's another little perk for subscribing to the guide. Obviously, you can get some money saved through the show as well. So if you're looking to subscribe to Rotoviz, use that coupon code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. You'll get 10% off of the sub. Leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app if you have a chance. We always appreciate those. You guys have been fantastic. We'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.